All right, great to be with you all. I am Dr. Dean Sieberhagen. I'm currently the interim dean for the Fish School of Missions and Evangelism. I've been teaching at Southwestern now for 11 years, and prior to that served with IMB for 13 years. So uh, I love what I do, love talking about this stuff, and it's a joy to be with you. Great, and I'm Chandler Snyder, and I am actually one of Dr. Sieberhagen's students right now, pursuing my degree in missions. Um, but I serve at Southwestern uh, as the Vice President for Enrollment and Student Services, the Dean of Students, um, but really, I'm just here to learn from Dr. Sieberhagen and enjoy that ride. So uh, my family and I, we served on the field with the International Mission Board for 10 years in Sub-Saharan Africa, where we were church planters and trainers. So we're excited to talk about the topic today, so, uh, Dr. Sieberhagen, we'll start off with the question of the day. Who does missions? Is it the church or is it the missionary? I'll let you riff on it for a bit and then we can talk about it. All right. So this is a kind of a loaded topic that makes us uh, really think, do we guilt the church because it's not doing it or, or how do we do this? And really a lot of the idea for this topic came from something called the Missions Manifesto, People like Tim Keller, J.D. Greer, and others came up with something called the Missions Manifesto in recent years. And in it, they posed this uh, question or comment, does the church have a mission or does God's mission have a church? And that reaches to the very existence of the church and the core of the church, depending how you answer that. If the church just has a mission, uh, a mission, then it's one of the things that they do, uh, or is, are they by definition God's missionary agent in the world? Okay. That God, God is ascending God. God sends the Son. The Son sends us. Uh, if God is ascending God, then is the church his vehicle for sending? Uh, so it's that kind of at the heart okay. of this particular thing, which then leads to the answer to the question is, the church does missions, and, and if the church does missions, where do missionaries fit in? Why do we call them missionaries okay. if the church does missions? So that's kind of the essence of what this whole topic is about. Uh, some of it, you know, having served with the board, some of the history of the IMB was tricky in the sense that the IMB became the sending organization between missionaries and churches. So churches felt a disconnect because they weren't directly sending any missionaries. They may not even know the names of any missionaries. Mm -hmm. All they know is give my Lottie Moon offering and my corporate program funds to the IMB, and the IMB will send missionaries. And uh, Does that count? Uh, well, we would say that wasn't plan A. Okay. Let's put it that way. Right. It might have counted as plan B or C. So the IMB, for many years, has tried to move itself out of the way and be more a coordination right. between churches sending missionaries. So now, for example, when our missionaries from the IMB come back stateside, they're given 20 churches to follow up with, 20 churches to make personal contact with and say, hey, we are your missionaries, and when you give, you're sending us. So I think the IMB is working very hard to help churches understand their role in missions. But it just shows you this idea of, is mission something just missionaries do? Yeah. Or really is it part of the DNA and even the definition of what a church is? Okay. So you talked about, is 
the church, the vehicle for missions. Could you expand on the mission of God then as we think about what the mission is? That's interpreted. Obviously, the Great Commission is given to us through Christ. Unpack the call to missions and the obligation of the church to that. What does that mean? What does it look like? How does it manifest? All right. So when you, again, I'm a missiologist, mm-hmm. so I'm going to speak from my perspective. Well, you're a missiologist, yeah, but you're also an elder at your local church, which I is am. not an unimportant factor here. You are a pastor. But those hats have to be the same, uh-huh. not, not separate. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, if we understand the mission of God, even the theme of the Bible being how God is redeeming fallen mankind to himself through Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. So if that's what God is doing, then the church, that's the mission of God, then we do missions as, as God calls us to be part of that. Okay. So we're not doing our own thing. We're doing, we're, God is inviting us into his mission of redeeming fallen mankind everywhere on the earth to himself through Jesus Christ. And really the whole theme of the Bible uh, fits into that. So as a church, then the question becomes, So how are we as a church joining God in his mission to redeem all people to himself through Christ? Uh, Now, specifically, we use, think of the words of Christ in the Great Commission and how the Great Commission gives details to that and brings that very important command, make disciples. Mm -hmm. So how is God redeeming fallen mankind and how does the church help? Through making disciples, making disciples of all nations. And I think... Almost every church would agree at their core, that's what they do. Through children's ministry, through preaching, through worship, through all the activities a church does, all of it is about making disciples. Okay, so then if all of it is about making disciples, is all of it missions at that point? So then it comes to how you define mission. Okay. Right. So if you define it, keep it in a God-centered definition Mm -hmm. that He's inviting the church to be part of, then all of it should be about making disciples. Yes. So that's an interesting question then. Uh, So if we are going to uh, change the carpets in the sanctuary, is that missions? Mm -hmm. Is that about making disciples? Well, if we say, do these carpets, will will these carpets help draw people in? I mean, is it, are are our carpets so bad that they're a distraction from people hearing the gospel and from paying attention to the, what we're trying to do, then, okay, we'll change our carpets because it's going to help us draw people in and make disciples. But if we say, no, we just want nice new carpets because we just feel like having nice new carpets, then are you, are you missing out on the mission component of that, of everything you do? So everything in the church is, when we make this decision of how we will use this facility or this new program we're going to start or, or this extra thing we're going to add, Are we doing it because it helps us make disciples? But missions, it's easy, though, to do that and stay in our own culture Mm -hmm. and our own language. But really, missions by missions, we understand a crossing of language and cultural barriers because there are places where there are no disciples yet. There are whole ethnic identities and peoples where there are no disciples so that's part of it as well. Are we joining God not only in our Jerusalem, but to use that Acts 1-8 passage, yes, in our Jerusalem we make disciples and join God, but are we also joining Him amongst what we call unreached people groups? Are we doing all of that? 
And this time of the year, it's actually easy to say we are, because of course, we're all taking up a Lottie Moon offering and we're all giving those. But yeah, is it more than that? Or do we say, all right, we'll join God in international missions every December, mm-hmm. but then wait again until next December? Or no, let's be actively involved. We happen to take the offering in December, but it doesn't mean we stop in January. Yeah. So how do you how do you reconcile some of these things? Because we talked about the mission is given to the church, and yet you're talking about making disciples of all nations. And one of the questions that Gregory Johnson asked was, does that mean the entire church has to relocate? Does Is this a whole church thing where we all have to go and do this? Mm-hmm. Then you're also discussing local ministries being used in engaging in the act of joining God in His mission. Reconcile some of these things for me. Yeah, so I think... I think we maybe mix up going and sending. Okay. So I think we understand by the church joining God in missions, joining as a sending church, as, as God sent the Son, and as Jesus says in, his, in the Great Commission in John, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Mm-hmm. In Romans 10 it says, how can they hear without a preacher, and how can they preach unless they are sent? So it's that, that word sending, I think, that is very important, that the church understands We're sending people across the street, Mm -hmm. and we're sending them around the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Are we, do we see ourselves as a sending church to the whole world? Uh, So that we are covering everything, but we are definitely responsible to send people to their workplace. On Monday morning, when they enter their workplace, we are sending them as their disciples into their workplace. When they go to their schools, things like that, we are sending them. So I think... The, well, the way we have to understand it is in the terms of that word sending. And therefore, if you are a person who is sent either across the street into your workplace or to the other parts of the world, you go. That's where the going comes in, right? Okay. You're going as your church is sending you. Um, so that's the case in my church. So, In fact, in my own family, because I have sons who serve with the IMB mm-hmm. who are sent to another, other countries. But I have a son who's an engineer in an engineering company in Dallas. And he is also sent by our church to his workplace as part of God's mission. Mm. So I think that's how we separate it too much into the foreign. Those who go to foreign fields are okay. the missionaries. And we're just the normal people who give our Lord him an offering. I think that's a terrible way of thinking about it. We're all sent. Okay. We're all sent. My son who's an engineer and works in his, that engineering job is as much part of God's mission as my two sons who are serving in, in countries overseas. Okay. So how does, how does the local church then engage in missions, both to neighbor and nation, as going to the engineering firm or going to downtown international city? Why? How does the local church equip through every component of their ministry, beyond just replacing the carpets? How do they equip and build a missions ethos into the DNA of their church? I think, number one, we have to break the sacred-secular divide. Okay. This idea that we have our professional pastors and staff who do everything, so they're the ones who will lead the mission trips or lead the evangelism outreach. We have to break that. We have to uh, get everybody to understand that Monday is as sacred as Sunday. Monday is your mission field. Monday... Whatever you do, if, you, if you're a, a retiree 
On Monday, you're going to go to the store. On Monday, you're going to see people. On Monday, you're going to email somebody. You're going to make a comment on your Facebook, whatever. You are part of God redeeming mankind to himself. You're part of God's mission. We have to break that divide. Uh, churches are trying. There's a, there's a movement right now called faith at work, not faith and work. That separates them. But faith at work. And the faith at, at work movement is about saying to everybody, you are part of God's mission in the world every day of your life. You make a difference wherever you work. It's helped some people to transform their vocations. Okay. People, uh, there was a guy, uh, they were interviewing a guy in Britain who was just a steel worker. And he felt like he had be, his work had become monotonous and repetitive. And he was trying to think, you know, what do I do? And does God even care about what I do? And it transformed his whole thinking. Because he realized every day in the steelworks, he was with people. Every day he was encountering people. And then that was where God had placed him as God was redeeming mankind to himself. So I think that that is the, the massive job we have in our churches. Okay. Is to break this thinking of a sacred, secular, that somehow they are these special people and only they can do it. When actually we all need to do it. And then after that, once, once we're able to break that mindset, is really just training. Uh, hands-on training and teaching people. Okay, so how do you do it? What are best practices when it comes to going across the street? What are best practices when you go to these other people groups that are living in your neighborhood, in mm -hmm. your city? And then what are best practices for helping engage the world? And that's learning and teaching. We've, we've got to find a way to learn and teach and make that part of our normal church life. Okay, so making that part of our normal church life. Obviously, within our convention and our world, there's churches of every shape and size. You have churches that have a lead kind of executive type pastor and a massive staff under them. And you have other churches where there's one bivocational pastor who is laboring to make much of Jesus. How does that person, without a massive staff to support, integrate this, train, disciple, and teach in their limited time? Okay, so that's the beauty of what we as Southern Baptists called cooperation, right? That's, that's really what brought us together. That's mm -hmm. the amazing part is that we can cooperate. If I'm that guy, I learn in, in, in my local association. I say, hey, I need help. There's a director of missions or there's other people around, resources around that can help. Here in, in, uh, in, in North Texas, we have uh, some conventions that, that are willing to help us with resources that are willing to put into these things. A friend of mine... Uh, one of our graduates, uh, Bruno Molina, is, is able to help uh, engage with a lot of the other people groups that are here. Uh, in Texas, for example, we have a lot of Spanish speakers mm. and people from that culture. Well, we have experts who have experience in how to reach out into that and how to speak into Roman Catholics and things like that. So that, that pastor needs to just connect with the, with the network okay. and the resources that can help him and then join there's a, uh, we, our church has a special partnership with one of our alumni in Madagascar. And there's a, a small country church uh, uh, in Southeast Texas who the pastor was a student with, with Mamtina when, when he was here and became his friend. And he said, we're just a little country church, but we want to do something. Yeah. So they partnered with us. We, we joined with them. We took them on. We all went on a trip together this last sum, summer and they were able to see how they could invest and help and partner with what we were doing in Madagascar. So 
that's just the awesome thing about being Southern Baptists. We have this way yeah. of working together. We just got to make it, take advantage of it. Yeah, and I'm, I might even add, thinking through the difficulty of time and preparation, um, use the resources. You mentioned that. IMB.org is a great resource for prayer prompts. Begin praying with your people. If you can't do anything else, begin praying for the lost of the world and asking God to move amongst them. And then you can match those prayers with, Lord, call someone out from here open opportunities for us to put feet and hands to these words. Yeah, you know, we're dreaming here at Southwestern too about creating some certificate programs yeah. to help that pastor who's in a country church who may be wondering, man, I never studied this. Uh, we, we might be able to plan some courses in future where we say, hey, do you want to continue your education, kind of like doctors continue their education? Mm -hmm. Why not do it for pastors? And, and these are some courses and things we can offer them minus all the hard work for assignments, yeah. uh, and help them learn and what are best practices that people are doing. All right, so I still have a tension point in this conversation. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. So what does that church do that hasn't sent someone cross-culturally? Are they in disobedience to the Great Commission if they've not sent, if they've not actively engaged cross-culturally? Okay, so the ends of the earth part, right? So, so uh, helping read... Well, to say that then I'm not willing to judge and say they're in full disobedience, right. let's just say uh, they may be not running as well as they could, uh, the journey. Uh, if Everybody can find a way, a place to begin that journey. Uh, one of the great ways to join is you go to the IMB's website, imb.org, and there's a prayer sign-up where every week the IMB will send you direct, right now, up-to-date requests for the field. And that's an immediate place to start, where every week you can do that. What, what we started doing in, in our, we call them growth groups, adult Sunday school classes in our church, was every week placing a missions prayer page for that group. To, when they have their prayer time, pray for this country and pray for these needs. You can download that from the IMB. That's a, that's a place to start with prayer right there. It doesn't cost you money. It just means you are focusing and saying, one way we'll start our end of the ends of the earth focus, we'll pray. And IMB has fantastic resources for that. You just go and look on their website. Yeah. There's so many great resources. You just start praying. So start. Start the journey and start start walking, then start jogging, then start running. Just you just keep adding as you go. So, so we would say that missions and engagement in missions is an indicator of church health on some level. Would you One of the indicators. One of the indicators. All right, so another question that Mr. Johnson had was he said that looking at Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus uses the word ecclesia and speaking of the keys of the kingdom binding and loosing. As we seek to establish a core definition of what the church is and not necessarily what it does, does it not make sense to begin where Jesus mentions church? Okay, so I love that comment that he says, and he's totally right. When we teach church planning here in our courses, we talk about first, what is the church? Because we're so quick about what it does, we're putting the cart before the horse. Okay. We do need to get first right what it is. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail mm -hmm. against it. Okay, so that's where he uses that word ecclesia. I will build my church. So there's all sorts of stuff there. He builds it, we don't, and it's his church, not ours. Okay, so if he builds it, 
and it's his church, then we've got to say, why? Why, why does he build it? What does it do? And the gates of hell kind of give us a bit of an indication of that. Okay. If you think of gates, gates are gates for defense or offense? Well, defense. Defense, yeah. right? Whew. Everybody builds gates to, to defend, to mm -hmm. protect. So the gates of hell, sometimes we must understand that we think the gates of hell, Satan's attacking us with the gates of hell. I served in the military. They never gave us gates. They gave us rifles. They didn't say, take these gates and throw them at the enemy. Okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> gates, gates, the idea of gates of hell is that Satan lost people around the world are not disciples, not following God because they don't have the gospel. Satan has them, has them locked in the gates of hell. We're supposed to go and rescue them. When he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that's not a defensive statement. That's, that's more about our mission of offense, that we're supposed to go. We're going. And so another way of thinking of it is this. We often think of the church more like a cruise ship when it's really a battleship. Okay. You know, we want a cruise ship like, let's make the church as nice and comfortable and as accommodating uh, as possible for the Christians. Now, there is a sense in which a church should be safe pasture and a place where you can come and, and, and find joy and peace and hope. And, Hence the nice carpet. Well, uh, if, if appropriate, nice carpet, good coffee, nice donuts. Okay, all of that. But the danger with, with that is we easily think of ourselves as, as on a cruise ship on our way to heaven. Okay. We're on a battleship. We are, we, are, we are to storm the gates of hell and rescue people from Satan's darkness and, and his, his kingdom. And there are nations, there are people groups who are totally locked in that darkness, who are waiting. And God's saying to us as church, will you join me? Will you go? So what then is the definition of church? Because if it's so central to understanding missions, how are we defining church? How are you operating in that space? Okay, well, so church, uh, in terms of just a one-sentence definition, is very hard to give. Sure. But in terms of what are... We'd refer you to the Baptist Faith and Message. Well, just Baptist to Faith clear. and Message, <laughs> the IMB has their foundation statement that yeah. there are missionaries and which they say this is what church is. So... Uh, we have uh, biblically-based documents that help us understand what is a church. IMB has 12 characteristics of a healthy church. Right. One of those characteristics is missions. Hmm. One of those characteristics is evangelism. They actually have those two as two separate characteristics. But those are two just of 12, right. like uh, biblic biblical teaching of the Word, biblical worship, uh, biblical Lord's Supper and baptism. All those things are part of what a, what a church is. But all of that is making disciples, right? I don't think any of those 12 things or whatever definition we come up with of church, we can't say that every part of this is about making disciples. So, yeah, I... So, this is where the, our topic can be maybe a bit misleading. It's not a case of... Um, the only thing you need to do as a church is missions to be, to be biblical mm. and to be healthy. You just need to do missions and then you're a healthy biblical church. I think that's, that's not what we're trying to get at here. That's not what we're trying to point out. I think it's more just trying to understand that comment they made. 
does the church have a mission amongst the various things it does? Or does God's mission, God is ascending God, God is a God who's redeeming all people himself. Does he have a church that he's using in it to fulfill his mission? And if he does, if, if there is some truth to that second part, then as a church, I've got to say, okay, so are we positioning ourselves? Are we defining ourselves? Are we building a nature within ourselves so that God can use us to fulfill his mission? Great. We didn't really touch on this, but I think it's, it's, it's vital and has been in a recent conversation how we are one generation away of losing even this conversation. Mm. And I was talking about, uh, I was talking to, uh, over Thanksgiving, we had a number of internationals at our house to celebrate Thanksgiving. And one of the biggest contrasts between uh, the church in America and the church in many of these other countries is youth ministry, ministry to the young. And we're remarking actually how amazing it is in America, how much we focus on children and youth here. Even though we take it for granted a little bit, I think, but we, we just have, we appoint children's ministers, youth ministers, we have VBSs, we, we, we really are very intentional. You don't find that in many other countries, even other Christian countries, even if you think of your time in Africa, yeah. how many churches had powerful children's and youth mm. ministries, even full-time appointed people for them? Very few. I mean, from my original country, I came from South Africa, there are some, but not many, nothing like here. And so I actually think that uh, part of our even understanding of this mission, the reason we even can send three to 4,000 missionaries is because we, are, we keep building the next generation who comes and, and they are the ones we send, but they're also the ones who become engineers and salesmen and all teachers and all professions that help do the faith at work. So uh, I think I wouldn't want to... Uh, downplay the way we join God in his mission in America with our focus on young people and youth. Mm. As someone who has come from outside originally, it's actually amazing to me how well we do that. I know we often don't think we do that great, but on a world scale, we do an amazing job. And, and actually, that's our hope for the next generation, joining God in mission. So I want to encourage all, all the guys watching and anybody else, don't neglect children and youth, man. It is so foundational to this whole discussion. And if your church is, is developing or, or, or helping a youth and children's ministry to thrive, you are exactly doing part of joining God on his mission. All right. So, Dr. Steve Rogan, I know part of your strategy while you were on the field was using business as mission mm -hmm. and creative access to gain um, opportunity and audience with individuals who needed to hear and respond to the gospel. But moving into the era of digitalization that we're moving into, one of the questions from one of the folks on the call is, have you ever thought about the metaverse? And what does the role of digital, online, and technology, what role does that play in missions now? So there's an amazing video that's being put out this Lodi Moon season by the IMB on one of our students in Japan. Mm. And he's such a great story. He and his wife, I was training them in Central Asia this summer and got to hear their story. They do VR chat outreach. Okay. 
So he and his wife met on VRChat. All right. And I could not believe millions of people have these avatars and live in VRChat. Millions mm -hmm. who all the time, every minute of the day, are meeting and just talking. He was on there as a, as a missionary. He's one of these VR expert guys. Yeah. And he would meet people, have his own separate chat room to talk more with them if they wanted to go deeper into spiritual things. He met his wife there. Wow. Met her in a ver she came to his, his private chat room. He led her to Christ, began discipling her. And she was in Oklahoma. He was here, so they met and fell in love and got married. And now they are VR missionaries to the Far East, to a country in the Far East. They're learning that language and they actually live there because they're reaching a point of having these conversations because in, in that particular country is one of the highest rate in the world of use of VR mm -hmm. and technology. Uh, but they'll say to them, they'll speak their language and they'll say, now, hey, if I'd like to meet you and hey, by the way, I live here. I'm, I'm not far from you and I'd be willing to meet you. And so uh, I'm pretty sure there's a whole feature on them uh, for this year's Lottie Moon yeah. emphasis. And it was amazing to hear. I mean, it was totally outside of my generation's level of comfort. And I was thought, okay, where do we go with that? Uh, That's I, a, where do we go with that is so important when you talk about the nature of the church exactly. as well and the outcome of evangelism and conversion. Exactly. So how do we, if we say the church has these 12 healthy characteristics uh -huh. you want to see, how do you do that in that world? And they're still figuring all that out yeah. and trying to say, how do we do that? There's another country, uh, I can't mention the name of, probably one of the highest persecution in the whole world. And one of the most effective ways that uh, we are making initial conversations is Facebook. Mm. And we're really grateful that we have Facebook because they can create a, they can create a group and they can join anonymously. Yeah. But once they get enough interest, then they are willing to have more private conversations and then where the evangelism and, and, and actual coming to Christ takes place. So I think we have to, we have to find ways and, and, and have a generation of really connected people help us understand how to do this well. Yeah. But keep trying to understand how do we do the one another's of the scriptures, right? Yeah. How do we do the true deep fellowship? Uh, are we intrinsically made as face-to-face -face human beings? Is that how God made us? Yeah. And, and, and is that the nature of the church? An incarnational, in-person, being together? Yes. Or is there an acceptable hybrid? Yeah. Right? Where you can say... You can. There must be some of that, but there can be a lot of it that happens mm -hmm. uh, on, online as well. I mean, we're doing that. We're doing that in our teaching, right? We have 10 people, 20 people in the class and 20 people online. And just like some of these guys are, we're doing that right now. Mm -hmm. You and I are face to face, but we're in a sense face to face with these guys. So, so we have to figure, we, we have to learn how to do all that. Yeah, and I think it's important to highlight that we have to figure out those spaces and the places where we're going to draw hard lines and say, this is the biblical pattern, but graciously encounter the unknowns of this new era that we're walking in, discovering biblically yes. what is permissible, what is proper, what is beneficial, yes. pursuing what's biblically mandated, and being gracious as we try to figure it out along but the way. But it's also... I think helping understand that 
that church doesn't happen instantly. We take a journey to get there. I remember one of the guys I was working with in Central Asia, his name is Abdullah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took some Bibles to a village and this family got saved. Um, and some other missionaries told him, oh, well, you've got a church and, and you need to tell that father of the household that he's the pastor. Well, Abdullah came to me and he said, ah, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with this. This guy doesn't even know where to find the book of John in his Bible. Yeah. And I'm telling him he's the pastor, the Bible, that's not with the Bible. So, so I said to him, yeah, Abdullah, let's think about this. You have a potential church, but there are many steps that need to take place before mm-hmm. we can call this a biblically healthy church. Yeah. So what he and I did was we sat down and we painted a picture. What does a biblically healthy church look like? Where is this family in their village? And how could they get there? What are the steps we would take now to move them towards one day they could be that, yeah. a biblically healthy church. And let's help them, let's help paint the picture for them of what that might look like. And so I think with virtual, that's the same. We could be starting things, we could say there's got to be some face-to-face, but maybe it's not in the beginning. We've got, maybe it's all virtual. I don't know, maybe this guy does everything in this virtual chat world in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But we're saying, okay, but that's not the ultimate biblically healthy church right. we're working towards. But can we still keep some of those components as we work towards what a biblically healthy church is? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that you've mentioned prompted a question from Caleb West. He asks, does the emphasis on children and youth in the U.S. context, does that come at a cost of decreased family-centric and sourced discipleship and equipping from parents? Yeah, that's, very, that's a very good, good question. So in my, in my church, our big favorite color is orange. Not because we are University of Texas or Tennessee or Florida. Uh, but orange is our color because we say that it combines the red of the family, that discipleship must begin in the home. And the home is the core place for the discipling mm. children. But it combines with the yellow of the church. The church does have a responsibility to come alongside every family and every parent and help equip those parents, but also supplement what they're doing in the home with what we do in our children and youth. And so we say if you combine red and yellow, you, you get the orange of working together. And so, yeah, if we, if we get to a point where parents are saying, oh, I'll just send them to church and they'll, they'll take care of them spiritually, we need to cut that off immediately. That's mm. wrong. I mean, that's, that's just not the biblical way of doing it. So, yeah, that's a massive danger. Um, we need to equip Definitely the home as the primary place of discipleship. Yeah. But, but to come back to the point, but it's still amazing how well we supplement that in America with our children and our youth programs compared to anywhere else I've seen. We do an amazing job of helping. We can't force the family to do it, but I think we do a good job of offering to the family help and supplemental support to what they do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, the next era of missions is it's so exciting and unknown. Um, but one of the things that encourages me um, as we get ready to land the plane and kind of think on this, Becca, just to prompt you, is to know that this is God's mission so that the guarantee is sure. This Absolutely. Revelation 7-9 reality is a done deal. Now, how can we 
join that mission? How can we drive to health in the family, in the health of the church, as we pursue God's mission and glorifying Him by making disciples of all nations, both to neighbor and nation? So, Dr. Shibaragan, I'll give you the last crack at it before okay. we pass it over to Becca. What do you think? What are your wrap-up thoughts? Yeah, so I'm, I'm working on a book on, on the sovereignty of God and missions, and I think you have to, if you don't get the sovereignty part right, you'll be pessimistic. Okay. Oh, we'll never reach Muslims. We'll never reach Buddhists. Oh, this is too hard. That's too hard. Oh, we're going to lose the next generation. Oh, our politics is going in this way, or, the, or look what's happening in Israel. We'll be so negative if we get the sovereignty part wrong. Yeah. If we get it right, that it's God's mission, therefore cannot fail. We're joining Him. Sometimes the battle's really hard and we get scarred. Mm. But man, it's His mission. And uh, you just have to realize, if it's His mission, I'm joining a winning team. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are in... I mean, when have we ever had this opportunity to reach the world? The technology and the ability and the global church that exists today... We are in an incredibly exciting time to be a Christian and to be a church. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we above all else should be optimists because it's God's mission. And he's saying to us, join me. That's great. Well, Dr. Shiragin, thanks so much. Becca, we'll pass it back over to you.